Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. lessons here on the subject of building a relationship with God, building a relationship with God. And I want to just read one verse. I know last week I read several from this chapter, but I'll just read one tonight. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For as many as are led by the sons of God, or by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Uh, Building a relationship with God. Amen. We want the Lord to have his way tonight. How many pray that the Holy Ghost would direct us and lead us in the continuation of this service? Jesus, we need you. We're praying, Lord, for your help, your strength, your blessing. Your anointing, God, that is much needed here tonight. We're thankful for your touch and your help, your strength, your guidance. And we thank you, God, that you're here tonight to help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Somebody say, praise the Lord. You can be seated. I think he's already went over for a class, but Chad received the Holy Ghost Sunday night, they reported to me, and I'm so thankful for that, and uh, wants to be baptized on this Sunday, so we're looking forward to him being baptized in Jesus' name. Uh, I felt like that he had probably received the Holy Ghost, but uh, of course wanted him to claim it, and he did, praise the Lord. Building things of value, we understand, takes time and patience and also a certain amount of commitment and persistence to build anything of value. We don't go to tour the homes that are just track homes, but we do, we do go and tour places like the Biltmore or Hearst Castle places like this that were built and there's a lot of ornate things that went into it. I remember uh, some years ago had the opportunity to go view that house that uh, is called Hearst Castle, which uh, Randolph Hearst was a uh, a newspaper magnate, I guess you would say, and a very wealthy man and he built this house uh, it, I guess would qualify as a castle, more, more like several houses, a compound there, very beautiful place, and uh, all kinds of uh, different elaborate things that you can tour there on that compound. A lot of things that he had that especially people of that day did not have. And on the East Coast, there is the, the Biltmore Estate, and it is something to behold in and of itself, uh, just these magnificent places. But we do understand 
that these kind of estates, these kind of homes and castles, they were not built or erected overnight. And we also understand that to build a relationship of any kind, whether it's a relationship between a husband and wife, a relationship in a family between parents and children, or children, vice versa, with their parents, all of these things take and require time and effort and sacrifices. And a relationship with the Lord is no different. It takes uh, time. It takes commitment. It requires sacrifice. And it takes patience to uh, build a relationship with God. Brother Smith alluded to it tonight, even in our prayer lives. We, we learn a lot about patience because, of course, he knows what is best for us. And therefore, just because we asked it doesn't mean that it's going to happen immediately. But the Lord, if we'll continue to be faithful, will give us everything that we need in him. And uh, he is faithful to do that. Aren't you thankful that God knows what's best for us, even when we're not even aware of what is best for us in a situation? He knows what's best for us. And you cannot cut corners in, in your relationship with God and really have a meaningful one. Uh, you cannot uh, build a relationship with God with the wrong materials. If I was to liken this to... Uh, the building of a house, it's important the location that a house is built in. You, you don't build a house on certain types of soil. And if soil is in that area that cannot be built upon, then you dig down to soil or bedrock that can be built upon. So the location is important. And then the materials that you build with is important. We see this in Matthew chapter number 7 when Jesus is giving uh, the illustration between the man that built his house upon the sand and then the house that was built upon the rock or the stone. And he said the storm came to both of them and storms are not discriminate. We know that storms are going to come. And the location and where we build and the materials that we build our relationship with God out of are the things that are going to determine whether or not we survive those storms, those trials, those things that come to us in life. And so details, if I could say it this way, matter in our relationship with God. Some people say, well, you know, it's just a generalized thing. And, and uh, I believe everybody that, that labels themselves Christians are, are going to, to go to heaven. Well, you and I both know that everybody that professes Christianity does not act like or behave themselves or bear the fruit of a Christian. Uh, that's a pretty loosely used term in today's world. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, that doesn't make you saved. I said, that does not make you saved. But there are some things that happen in a person's life that qualifies them and helps them 
We know that we cannot qualify ourselves, but it's the blood of Jesus and the sacrifice that was made at Calvary's cross that does qualify us and washes away our sin. And once the blood is applied to our life and we are born again, we understand that we can and we continue to be faithful to God and His Word. We will be saved. Can you say praise the Lord? But details matter. Details matter. We see this illustrated in life. Uh, just a small natural gas leak uh, in your home. If it goes undetected, it could be very devastating and destructive, and it could cost life. Uh, some of you might remember, I think it was in 1990 or 86 that the Challenger explosion took place, and when they investigated, and they did all the uh, forensic research that they could do on this shuttle, and when they dug down and, and put it all back together as best they could uh, to discover what went wrong, all of their investigation led to one simple thing that could have easily been corrected. There was a O-ring that allowed... Uh, some type of material to escape, and that led to it touching off with something that was maybe a spark, and it was flammable, and it led to an explosion. Just one little O-ring caused uh, this loss of life, this horrific situation that people were witnessing all across the world and uh, marred by. And it all came down to one little O-ring. I think it was Shakespeare that wrote about King Richard a poem. Uh, King Richard was going out into battle, I think it was. Uh, he was needing his horseshoe, and he went by the place where the, uh, the man that would shoe the horse, the blacksmith shop, and went to go get the horseshoe before the battle and when they were shooing the horse, they discovered that they ran out of nails. And there was just enough to put them on. But there was one place where a nail was to be fastened on, and it was not. And he said, you can probably get by without it, just one nail. It wouldn't matter. And he went out into battle. And, of course, uh, the horse lost the shoe and then stumbled. And when it stumbled, it caused him to lose uh, not only the battle, but eventually, uh, I think it was that uh, he perished in that battle, if I remember well. And the poem was written, For one of a nail, the shoe was lost. And for the want of a shoe, the horse was lost. And for the want of a horse, the rider was lost, being overtaken and slain by the enemy for the want of a nail. The wise man said it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. Uh, Jesus said to the rich young ruler, he said, there's one thing thou lackest. Just, just one small detail. You've got all of these things. He enumerated on all of these things that he had done so well and done correctly. But he said, there is one thing that thou lackest. And that, that one thing uh, was too high a price for him to be willing to pay. And the Bible said he walked away sorrowful. 
because of one thing. You know, sometimes it can come down to one thing that would cause a person to be saved or lost. You know, you'd think that it would be multiple things. And, and I would suppose the majority of the time, uh, that's, that's the case. It's, it's multiple things in a person's life that add up that lead to their destruction. But for this man, it was just one thing. So details matter. One more illustration. In 1846, there was a Hungarian doctor uh, by the name of Semmelweis that uh, there was deaths, just uh, multiple, countless deaths uh, during childbirth of both mother and child. And uh, he noticed that uh, this was something that was occurring way, way too much in these particular hospitals that he was working in. And he just uh, began to experiment with ways to try to stop this infection that was happening. And uh, he, he started making a requirement of himself, first of all, and then started... Uh, trying to incorporate this with his peers that they would do the same and that is that they would wash their hands. What a novel idea. Wash their hands before uh, they would uh, do any procedures on their patients before they would uh, try to work on any of the patients that were there. They would cleanse their hands thoroughly. And would you know that he was met with all kinds of resistance to this practice that is widely accepted. We all know that that's how that things is transmitted today the majority of the time. And uh, this, this doctor discovered if we could, we could save a lot of lives. And he was not only resisted, but there was people that grew very angry with him. Because in that day, they believed that germs traveled. Uh, they really didn't have a concept of what germs were, that they were bacteria uh, or viruses. But they, they believed that they were spirits, that just, you know, it was, uh, it was a person's bad fortune. And that's how this happened. And he said, no, there's just the simple practice that we can, we can follow here, and it would save a whole lot of lives. And his ideas were rejected out of hand. And he was placed in an insane asylum where he later died. Uh, and ironically, he died of septus because evidently the doctors treating him didn't follow his advice either. So what are you trying to say? I'm trying to tell you that details matter. Details matter. And so we, we spoke about some unhealthy symptoms and signs that can occur in a person's relationship with God. Now, does this mean when these things start appearing in a person's life, does that mean that necessarily they're backslid at that point or they are, uh, there's totally no hope for them? Of course not. I wouldn't even point them out. But I think these are just by our own simple personal giving inventory of ourselves when we look at these things and see these things in our lives and we've talked about several of them actually I've talked about or am going to talk about when I conclude with this seven unhealthy signs and I'm going to talk about seven healthy signs 
to look for. And this is just a good way for us to gauge things in our relationship with God. And we see these things creeping in, then we can understand, hey, this is a place where the enemy is trying to get an edge on me. Because you know that the enemy is always endeavoring, always probing, always looking for a place that he can find a foothold in your life and uh, try to destroy you. The Bible said he goes about seeking whom he may destroy. Praise the Lord. So I want to be aware of his devices. And I don't mean to be negative by pointing these things out, but I think by pointing them out we'll know what to be aware of or beware of, and uh, we'll, we'll know what we need to do to circumvent these things happening in our own lives. We've spoke about uh, apathetic worship being a sign when a person's worship begins to uh, decrease and they don't see a need for worship or they can't seem to get into the worship service. That is a good sign that something is unhealthy in their relationship with God. Also a symptom is the comparison syndrome. When we start comparing ourselves with ourselves. And I told you that the majority of the time when people do this, it's so that they can find, uh, by comparing themselves with someone else, they want to excuse some type of behavior in their own life and say, I'm doing as good as that person is doing. And you know what? The pattern that we all need to follow is the Word of God and the examples of people in the Word of God and uh, follow that and we'll be better off. Bible said when we compare ourselves with ourselves, we are not wise. And then uh, I talked about remind me of the rules mentality. What is that? That is, that is someone that has to be reminded week in and week out where and what the rules are so they can live just as close up to the guardrail as they possibly can. And I told you that common sense would tell you you don't need a sign. You don't need somebody to put up a big warning caution light. Uh, when there's a cliff there, if you've got common sense, you're not going to walk off of it because you'll know that there's danger there. That's just a God-given innate thing that is within all of us that we're not going to walk any further. We're going to stay back in a safe place. And so when you have the Spirit of God working in you as you should, you should not have to be beaten over the head week in and week out about what the rules are all the time. You should have a relationship with God that is strong enough that the Spirit of the Lord, you don't need a preacher looking over your shoulder to tell you, oh, but, but, but don't do that. Come back over here. Don't go over there. Don't say that. Don't, don't, in, don't indulge in that. Don't partake of that. It shouldn't be that way. But my friend, you should realize and understand that if I got the Holy Ghost working in me like it should, I'm going to walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. Can you say praise the Lord? And that's not to say that we don't need teaching. I, I think you understand what I'm talking about. But I, I, don't, I want to see people mature to the place that they don't have to be in con There doesn't have to be a constant correction mode all the time from the preacher, the pastor. I, I've been in those type of scenarios and those type of situations I, and around that type of a deal. And... And uh, they forgot that, that that Bible says, as much as it says rebuke, it also says exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. 
And so I like to be exhorted. I suppose you do too every once in a while. I don't like just to be rebuked every service. And come on now. You act like you guys enjoying rebuking. <laughs> so, there's something wrong with you, if you, you know, kind of, oh, come on back. Hit me again, preacher. Give it to me upside my head one more time. You know, oh, yeah, that's, that's what I like. And, and some people misunderstand and they think that's the only, only, you know, you're not preaching unless you do that. You're not teaching unless you do that. Well, I resent that a little bit because I feel like when we preach and when we teach, we're giving food. Amen. If we give you the right kind of food, then you'll be strong and you'll want to adhere to the Word of God and you'll want to uh, gravitate in your relationship with God towards growing stronger in Him and being more like Him and take on His nature. Can you say praise the Lord to that? And... uh, you do understand that it, there is times when we have to correct and there is times when we teach and, and, and deal with things directly and, and speak and, and even uh, there is times of rebuke. But that should, not, that should be sparingly, not, not something that happens all the time or something's wrong. Amen. Uh, there's things that need to be established in our lives and our relationship with the Lord and we desire uh, to and long to draw close to Him. And that's, that's really what we're after here. I said, that's what we're after here. And I'm not going to spend all of my time on three people that seemingly can't get between the ditches. They can't seem to follow the Word of God. They, const- they don't have it in their heart to do so. Praise the Lord. So we're going we're gonna, to uh, continue to exhort and rebuke when necessary and... And teach with all long suffering and doctrine. Praise the Lord. And I believe that's necessary. Uh, then we talked about pettiness of spirit, and that is important that we not, the price of pettiness is way too high. It, it costs a lot for you to, 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 to be one of those kind of people that is always nitpicking at something, always trying to find something wrong. And you're going to have some in every group, I do realize that. Uh, it seemed like in my lifetime I've dealt with an inordinate amount. But, uh, you know, we don't need to be pessimistic all the time about things. Amen. Get that kind of mindset of just, just uh, you know, it's bad and getting worse, Pastor. And, uh, you know, some people revel in that kind of attitude. And you wonder why you can't get a miracle. You can't get a breakthrough. You can't because faith does not operate in those kinds of contexts. Faith operates in the context of people that say, you know what? I'm going through some things, but I believe God is able to pull me up and pull me out of this. I believe God is, is able to strengthen me and help me to overcome and, and so then I'm going to move on and go a little further with this and talk about a fifth sign, and that is, or a fifth symptom, and that is passionless prayer. Passionless prayer. I want to discuss that for just a moment. It goes without saying that prayer is our lifeline. It's our lifeline to God. It's a lifeline. God is our source of everything that we need 
And uh, prayer is how we, we can stay clear-minded, we can stay focused, we can be what we need to be and understand and receive what we need to receive in the Word of God. People say, well, I don't understand that in the Word of God. My first question to that is, have you prayed that God would enable you to understand and open your mind? Because we see examples of that in the Word of God. Open, open their mind and, and open their hearts that they may understand and help me to be able, you know, many times preachers, prophets would pray, help me to be able to convey it in a way that they would understand it, but help them to be, as the Bereans were, have a readiness to receive the Word of God and to take in the Word of God, and that's important. Uh, you, The preacher can dispense it and teach it, and it can be masterfully taught and preached, but if your spirit is not able to receive it, it's, it's not ever going to happen. It's never going to find lodging place in your heart. It's, it's never going to be able to do what it's intended or sent out to do. But you've got to be receptive to the Word of God. And one of the ways that we stay receptive to the Word of God is through prayer. And also when we come to church and we hear the Word of God preached, the Bible says that we've got to mix our faith with the word of faith. That's why in our church we we advocate saying amen. Amen. Come on. That's why we advocate worshiping God during the preaching of the word of the Lord or affirming that we believe. Because what are we doing? We're mixing our faith, as the scripture says, with the word of faith so that we can take it into our spirit, into our heart. And uh, it can be applied to us. And you never graduate from that. I'm going to tell you, everybody in this place, I don't care if you've had the Holy Ghost longer than I've been alive, you still need preaching, sir. You still need preaching, ma'am. You still need to be taught from the Word of God. And you still got to stay open to the Word of God. You got to stay open. You got to, you, and, and you got to stay open to teaching and preaching. I've, I've known preachers that, that have preached to me that was much younger than I was. And they were able to stir something up in my spirit. Uh, probably most recently, I, just in memory, is, is when Brother Cox was here. This young man, I mean, he stirred me up in his preaching, in his anointed way of approaching the Word of the Lord. And it just reminded me all over again how refreshing it is to see young men come up preaching the Word of God. I'm going to tell you, we shouldn't have this seniority kind of attitude when it comes to the preaching of the Word of God and saying, well, I'm a... You know, I'm a senior saint. Amen. I, you know, I, I like the deep things of God. And I can't handle that, you know, that shallow stuff. I like, well, I just find it refreshing when young men can come and preach and they don't have a skewed uh, spirit. They don't have a, they don't have an ax to grind on nothing. They just come and preach the word of God and let the chips fall where it may. And uh, they just have that raw tenaciousness and faith. They, they just get out there and lay hands on people and believe that God can heal them and believe God can save them. And you may have prayed them through five, six times, but they, for all they know, it's the first time they ever got the Holy Ghost. They just go out there and start praying for them. That is encouraging to me. I said that's encouraging to me, and we should never lose that purity of faith and that 
that, that type of innocency in our walk with God. And you've got to work at that. You've got to work at that. Uh, because, uh, and prayer is what helps you to do that. Prayer is one of those things. And, and, and we all know the scripture. We've been taught the scripture in James uh, 5 and 6. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availed much. There's three things there that really stand out. First of all, prayer must be effectual to avail much. There is a wrong way to pray. There's a wrong idea and concept about prayer. Prayer is not us coming with just our wish list, but prayer is us having a relationship and spending time in the presence of God and, and being able to come into His presence because until we connect with Him, we can never make our petitions known to Him. How do you connect with him? How do you get into his presence? That's very clear in the word of God. It said, enter his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. And so when we come in, we ought to come in worshiping. And when we begin praying, we ought not just start out, God, I want this and I want that. And bless God, I'd like to have this. And, and if you could do this for me. God's saying, uh, what about all the things that I've already done for you? Amen. We ought to give him some praise and give him some thanks. And worship his name. And then, uh, I guess more to my point here is fervency is important for prayer to avail much. It cannot just be haphazard. It cannot just be passionless. And when you see passionless prayer, you see a person that is losing their appreciation for the things of God. Or they've lost their faith in God's ability to help them. You've got to put some fire in this sometimes. You've got to get uh, urgent about it sometimes. You, you, you've got to have some passion behind your prayer. You know, I, I get concerned about people that come and, and they just, you know, they never, they never uh, do anything but just, just whisper a little bit and, and uh, maybe rehearse the same uh, sentences and words and statements over and over again. Uh, you know what, you 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 got to get stirred up sometimes for God to meet your needs. And you got to pray and pray fervently. you got to be like that publican who beat his chest as he stood there and said, Oh, God, help me, a sinner. I need you to touch me. I need you to work in my life. He was getting honest before God. Prayer is effective when you when you get fervent. Prayer avails much when you get fervent. When you when you put some fire behind your prayer and you you put some heat on it and say, you know what? I'm going to be fervent about it. We need fervent worshipers and we need fervent prayer warriors. Praise God. When it's prayer meeting time around here, we ought to we ought to have voices lifted up. Should not just be one or two, amen, but it should be many that have their voices lifted up to God, praying and seeking the face of God, calling on His name. Shouldn't be whispering to somebody sitting beside you. I mean, my Lord, we're only here for 20 minutes. Surely you can wait until after prayer meeting is over or wait until later on to discuss something with them. There's nothing that urgent. It is urgent that we talk to God. It is urgent that we seek the face of the Lord, or looking around to see something, or noticing something about someone else that you feel uh, you know, so compelled to comment on. Uh, there's way too much of that that goes on. We need people that are seeking God. You know, if you're going to get 
prayer through to the Lord. And if you're really going to touch God, prayer requires focus. You've got to cut out all the distractions. That's why sometimes it's important to kneel and block everybody else out or close your eyes. That's, that's why we do those things. It's not just a ritual. It's not that you can't touch God with your, with your eyes open, but sometimes you can't because you're looking around and you see somebody else cause you to think of something else. So if that hinders you, that's why we do these things. These are not just uh, little ritualistic practices that we get involved in, but these things have meaning behind them. And, you know, if you're falling asleep when you're kneeling down, it'd do you good to get up and walk around a little bit. Anybody say amen to that? Don't sit there and act like you ain't ever got sleepy when you was praying. devil is a liar. I felt slam asleep. You said, oh, I'm going to pray for you. Well, you do that. But I have fell asleep in a prayer meeting. I was feeling such the peace of God. And the Bible said this is the rest. We're in the weariest of rest. And so I fell asleep. I'm just admitting that to you. You know, I suppose if that spirit of slumber comes on, you, you need to get up and walk. Amen. I've, I've. Been involved in church. They said, everybody meet here. We're going to meet here every morning at 5 o'clock. You're the evangelist. You, you're there. Didn't matter that you went to sleep at 1 o'clock. So, I mean, if you're not up moving, good chance you're going to be uh, gro- uh, groaning with groanings that could not be uttered. Snoring, in other words. So in a, uh, it's important that we stay focused, and we stay focused by uh, eliminating distractions and keeping our mind on the Lord. And then we've got to be fervent about it. And then the thing that a lot of times we don't talk about in prayer, I think it's a given, but a lot of times we don't talk about the necessity in our prayer that we really invoke faith. Amen? And pray when we pray in the name of Jesus. Because the Bible said if you ask anything in my name, I think it's important to invoke that name. We're people of the name. We've been baptized in the name. And so when we use that name, we have the authority to use that name. And it's important that you use the name of Jesus in your prayer. And old timers believe that very strong. They believe that that there needs to be emphasis on the name of Jesus and uh, preaching and teaching on the name of Jesus and invoking the name of Jesus. And, and so these are things that we've got to have, but there's got to be fervency in our prayer lives. The sixth uh, unhealthy symptom that I want to discuss is a pessimistic view towards the preaching of God's word, a pessimistic view. This is an unhealthy symptom. You know, you got to be careful because you're dealing with something. First of all, two things when you become pessimistic towards the preaching of God's words, two things that you're dealing with there that is sacred to God. First of all, his word is sacred above all things. You believe that? indisputable and then his his man that he put a calling on he didn't give any one of us permission uh, to be pessimistic 
in our approach towards the preaching of the Word of God. We've got to tread very lightly there. I know that people have erred in the truth and walked away from the truth and doctrine and they're incorrect and, and in those type of situations, you know, there is elders, there is people that are uh, qualified to, to deal with those types of things. I do understand that. But you know what? As a child of God, as a saint of God, uh, you better be pretty slow to, to judge a situation when it comes to uh, being pessimistic towards the preaching of the word of the Lord. I got a few verses of scripture, Romans chapter 10 and verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. And there's a lot packed into those few short verses of Scripture. But suffice it to say, uh, it's important for me to have a positive outlook towards the preaching. That's what's going to feed me. I said, that's what's going to strengthen me. That's what's going to help me. That's, what, that's what's going to produce in me what I, I need. Uh, I want to read uh, 2 Timothy chapter number 4. Uh, I'll just begin with verse 1. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things and endure affliction. Do the work of an evangelist and make full proof of thy ministry. Of course, this is uh, to Timothy, Paul's protege. He's instructing him how he needs to conduct himself. But he's also telling him that there's going to be people that are going to turn away. And they're going to heap to themselves teachers having itching ears because of the lust that is in their own heart to do evil. And they're going, they're going to find somebody that is agreeable with them. Amen. Well, that's not, I know that that's what's happening a lot in the 21st century but, you know, it doesn't matter if it's agreeable with me. It matters whether or not it's in the Word of God. And if it's in the Word of God, I have to accept it. I have to adhere to it. I have to line my life with it. I have to be obedient to it. I need to receive it. And a lot of times people cannot receive the Word of God because somewhere along the way they've lost respect for the ministry. Amen? They lost respect for the ministry. It's important that you have a respect for the ministry. It's important that the ministry be respectful or respectable. And that's important. But it's important that you keep a healthy relationship yourself with the ministry where you can receive the word of God. Oh, praise the Lord. And I know there's certain things that can happen to tear that down. But you need to not hold on to those things. You need to quickly release those attitudes and that spirit and let it go. Because if it festers in you and is not healed, it will cause you to become bitter. And you cannot be blessed. And the preaching of the word is to no avail in your life. 
And, you know, sometimes in our longevity and living for God, we can get to the point that we think that I have ascended to a place that I can judge and I can critique and I can uh, say this or that or I can interject my feelings about a situation. You've got to be careful with that. Let me just give you a word of warning where that is concerned. You know, uh, I've been to the doctor a few times and... Uh, if I need to go, I'm going to go again. Um, and when I get there, I, I matter of fact, it wasn't too long ago. Uh, I don't have it very often, thank the Lord. But I get gout every once in a while. And, uh, man, I had a, a case. And uh, it so happened that I needed to go somewhere. I needed to be in Little Rock. And, um, man, I, I had a flare-up. And so I stopped over here on, on state line, and I said, well, I'll just get a little medicine. It'll be good in a few hours. That's the way it's worked before. Or at least, you know, uh, half a day or so, I can start getting some relief. And, uh, you know, the more I sit there in that office, you know, it seemed like when you need immediate assistance, it, it takes a while. And I was patiently climbing the walls, and... Uh, and uh, I was, you know, I was, uh, I couldn't pace, but I could sure, I could sure groan and, and uh, roll around on that little thing there that they have for you to sit on. And, and finally, I collected my dignity when a person came in to treat me. And I said, now that'll be, you know, once you give me this medicine, uh, this will start getting better in about a couple of hours, right? <laughs> she kind of joked. You're a preacher, aren't you? I said, yeah. I said, you can pray that'll happen. But it's probably not going to happen like that. Well, it didn't necessarily happen. But you know, I don't like needles. I don't like getting shots. I don't like any of that kind of stuff. But when she said, uh, you know, this is what's going to take to get this taken care of, as much as I didn't like it, I didn't argue with her. I said, hey, I know I'm too desperate. Bring it on, whatever it takes. And, uh, you know, uh, I didn't say, well, uh, how much is that going to cost? I wasn't worried. I get alone. I'll do whatever I need to do. I was that desperate. I was needing some answers. And, you know, if any intelligent person, when they go to the hospital, you you wouldn't, if they, if they told you, sir or ma'am, you have got a You've got a heart valve that is, or you've got a uh, artery that is blocked, and we're going to have to do open heart surgery. You wouldn't look at that doctor and say, you know, uh, I'm not going to let you do it, but I'm going to let, I'm going to let my dad do it, or I'm going to let my mother do it, or I'm going to let my brother do it, because I love them and I trust them. You know what? As much as I love them. They're not qualified to do that. And it doesn't matter how much I love them, but I don't want my dad giving me open heart surgery. I want somebody that's qualified. I want somebody that has uh, went through the rigors. I want somebody that, you know, if I'm going to be preached to and taught from the Word of God, I don't want some person that just decided that they're a theologian 
when I started coming to God. You know, it's amazing how many self-appointed theologians there'll be in people's lives that never you never even knew. I've heard new converts talking. They didn't even know that their, their, their family knew anything about the Bible until they got in church. And they could tell them all about it then and where they was wrong about it and try to debate them on it. I'm going to tell you, as much as you love them and as much as you care about them, you have to understand that they're not in a qualified position to preach to you. Praise the Lord. The Bible said, seek out your own salvation with fear and trembling. When it comes to that stuff, you got to listen and hear the word of the Lord when it comes anointed and preached to you. And uh, you you got to understand, I need someone that God has approved of and has anointed to place in the pulpit of my life to tell me the truth. Because I want to be saved. Can you say praise the Lord? Seventh sign. And I'm going to conclude with this. Seventh sign is unattentiveness in altar services. How many have seen this before? Don't, don't point. Don't. Because all of us could be guilty of it at times. And unattentiveness in the altar service. It, it's so important. I've said this before, but let me say it again. The majority of you that received the Holy Ghost received the Holy Ghost when somebody else was praying with you. If that's true, why don't you raise your hand? Somebody was nearby praying with you, instructing you, helping you. That's not to say that God cannot fill somebody. We've had people get the Holy Ghost while they was at home. We, I've known people that got the Holy Ghost while they was by themselves, that type of thing, in a prayer meeting somewhere. I'm not saying God's not able. Of course he's able. But the majority of the time, it's people encouraging us and praying with us. And in that kind of an atmosphere, like an altar service, we receive the Holy Ghost. And how many has ever been blessed when somebody was helping you and encouraging you and praying with you? Amen. Amen. The Bible said, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And I don't want to have... I don't want my life to just be bundled up and wrapped up in just me and packaged up in just me because that would be an awful small package. But I want to have a life that is reaching and touching and ministering to other people. Thank God when we need a breakthrough or when we need God to touch us that there is people that are sensitive and that will pray with us. And I thank God for every saint of God in this church that feels that calling you know, that is a tremendous calling to be a, a great altar worker, an anointed altar worker. That is a gift. And we need that gift to be spread here in this church even the more. Uh, There's some of you that are tremendous at it, but, you know, life and situations and all of that, or maybe you're not as healthy as maybe you once were or strong as you once were. And I'm going to tell you, we need you. We need you. I solicit, solicit you to get involved and, uh, and to put forth effort and, and also young people and young married couples. And, and a lot of times we get distracted. I know what it is to have young children and kids and, and that kind of thing and trying to care for all of that. But don't let that keep you from getting involved in the altar when you can. Can you say praise the Lord to that? It is vital Thank God when you needed the Holy Ghost, when you needed a prayer answered, when you needed a breakthrough, that there were saints of God that were not 
too wrapped up in whether or not the restaurant was going to close down or the roast was going to burn or the kids weren't going to get their homework after they got home. But they had enough time to say, I'm going to be right here with you and pray with you until you get prayed through to the Holy Ghost. Oh, the blessings that we could have if we learned just to pray. And sometimes, you know, things kind of got to get get going a little bit. Sometimes you got to, you got to, you got to, Get up there and initiate things. Sometimes you, you, you cannot just come around and, and stand around. You, you, and don't wait for the preacher to get up and say, I wish you'd pray for somebody or reach over to somebody. It seems like we have to do that too much. And I'm not getting on to anybody. I'm just encouraging you that we, we understand and now that we know that this is how God works and God will use people that are sensitive to Him and He'll... Maybe that person doesn't have the faith alone, but if they could get your faith working with their faith, if they could get your, your encouragement, and your, then they could feel like, hey, I can get my prayer through. I can get my answer tonight. I can get my help tonight. I can get my strength from God tonight. And, and, and uh, uh, just by working with one another and helping one another. And a lot of times it, it doesn't mean that you've got to you got to do anything fancy, but a lot of times it's by putting your hand on somebody's shoulder or, or getting around them and, and worshiping God and, and encouraging them. You know, a lot of times you can just tell somebody, you're doing good. You're doing good. You see progress while they're praying? Tell them you see progress while they're praying. You're doing good. Now, make sure you put in a cert or an or a, a Altoid or something like that. You're laughing, but I'm telling you, that can quench the spirit, folks. And we're just, we're family tonight, but I'm just going to be honest. Going to be an altar worker, personal hygiene comes in. Amen? Somebody knocking them over. And them not, oh, my Lord, I hope they don't come back and pray for me. No. But we do need people that are have enough faith and have enough uh, belief that God is able. Come on, you believe God's able to fill people with the Holy Ghost? You believe God is able to give people miracles? You believe God is able to change people's lives? Why don't you stand to your feet if you believe that? And let's make a commitment here tonight. Let's make a commitment here tonight. I'm going to be more attentive. I've been looking forward to getting on this little section of things, and now I've messed around and I don't have much time. But I, I have really been looking forward to getting on this particular section of things and talking about being attentive to the altar. You know, you can walk into a church service and you can see people that God is working on and God is touching. A lot of times, even while the altar call is being given, you can see a tear. You can notice them being touched by the Lord. And all they need is a gentle nudge. All they need is a little help. And, 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 you know, we don't want to be too aggressive that we run anybody off. But at the same time, we don't want to be so passive that we can't close the sale, folks. You ever been to an auto auction? Anybody ever been to an auto auction? There's a few of you. It's entertaining. I mean, they got an auctioneer who you can't hardly understand. And he's talking so fast. You know why they do that, don't you? People get up in the spirit. 
They get up there, and before they know it, they're raising their hand. They don't even want a car. They're raising their hand. <laughs> yep. And they got these guys they call the ringmen. You ever seen that? Well, you know, my cousin used to be one of those guys. He got paid almost as much as the auctioneer, and you'd be surprised. I'm talking about back in the early 90s, six, seven hundred bucks a, an auction. And uh, I'm talking about big auto auctions. And that isn't a bad day, you know, six, seven hundred bucks. And this is a long time ago. And he was just a ringman. And his job was is to get people into the spirit of what was going on, I guess. And, and, and once they got to bidding, don't let them stop bidding. And then, you know, uh, they'd get to going with it. They, they, they'd say, ah, you know, that's too much. I'm not going to buy it. He, they'd walk completely out of the auction building and talk that guy in, and he'd come running back before they dropped the hammer on it and say, yep. And they'd say, you know, they'd start the bidding again, and they'd go a little further with it. What are you trying to say? You know, there's a lot of times when people get down to where they, they feel like they pressed just as far as they can be pressed, and they've went as far as they can go, and all they need is just a little encouragement. Pray just a little bit more. Have faith for just a little bit more. Amen. And when they, when they, when they with a little encouragement, pray just a little further, and they get a little instruction on what's going on, then suddenly they realize, hey, amen, I'm not the only one that's been in this place before, but it sounds like this gentleman or this sister has also experienced some of these same feelings, and they may have felt like giving up, but your encouragement keeps them in there until they get prayed through, until they get broke over to that place of victory. Amen. We need some apostolics around this altar that are attentive to that, that will let this thing, amen, uh, help people to hang on until they get broke through. Help people and encourage people. There's some of you that are used of God magnificently in this area. Don't allow the devil to take that gift away from you. Get involved in it. Would you lift your hands and say, God, use me. Amen. Use me in the altar service to pray with people. Use me in the altar service to pray with people. Oh, to pray people through the Holy Ghost. Pray people through the victory. Pray people through to a miracle. Pray people through to deliverance. Amen. Amen. There's just a couple of things here that I want to mention before we dismiss. But you know, if you're going to pray somebody through to victory, you've got to have some victory. And the problem is a lot of times we, we've been living on E all week. And we need to get filled up, and so we can't really help nobody else get filled up. Amen? Come on, I'm just being very practical here tonight. I understand that. If you want me to rear back and preach, I can open my Bible back up, and I can rear back and get after it again. But I'm just telling you, this is what will help people. This is what will bring revival. I've been around this a little while, and I'm telling you that, that you, we can't get you prayed through every service and pray through any new folks. So we need you to get some victory and then reach out to somebody else that needs victory. Oh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And then when we get down here in this altar service, Sunday morning, let's just, let's just say it like it is. Sunday morning is our biggest guest service. Amen? For the majority of the time. That's where we're going to have Outsiders, guests, people here. And I know 
you, you, you like that Sunday night. I know that you kind of hold back for Sunday night. I realize that you got your shouting shoes on for Sunday night. I know you come ready to blow it out Sunday night. And you stayed up late Saturday night. So you're tired on Sunday morning. <laughs> Say, oh, well, oh, me or amen. Praise God. But that's the truth. I'm asking you as your pastor, put all those things aside. And say, you know what, if there's guests here, I'm not going to be thinking about where I'm going for lunch more than what I'm thinking about praying them through the Holy Ghost. And I'm going to put a little heat on this altar service on Sunday morning and not just get up here and stand around and wait until dismissal comes. And, and, and I appreciate you not leaving. At least you're not leaving, praise God. I preached in some churches, people start packing up their bags, man. They start getting their things together, and they, they, they head out the door at a certain time and say, Preacher, we, we, get out at, we get out at 1130. You can stay here if you want to. You preach to the walls if you want to. I'm glad we don't have that in this church. But uh, you know what? We need to push it a little further and realize there's people. It's life and death, folks. There's people going to hell. There's people hanging in the balance. If they don't get it, they won't ever get it. If they don't get broke through, they're never going to get broke through. Amen. And they may not have a Sunday night. It may be Sunday morning and they never come back. So we want to set the hook while God is dealing with them, while God is speaking with them. Amen. Praise the Lord. How many have helped me with that? I said, how many have helped me with that? You got to put your feelings aside. You got to be willing to say, I'll do whatever I need to do to see somebody get the Holy Ghost. Clap your hands to the Lord. Thank you for coming to the house of God tonight.